0: Well, if you were here last week, then you know that we started a new series. If you were not here last week, then we started a new series. Uh, it is called The Fellowship of Sufferings, and uh, Josh Knight did a great job of just introducing this series last week, uh, just uh, talking about the meaning of suffering and that man, no- nothing is wasted for the, for the believer, that the suffering is not wasted. And so, and I'm excited to hear uh, just him teach today. And so, um, today's passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And that's verses 7 through 10. And so uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, we've got one in the seat in front of you, uh, under the seat in front of you. And, uh, man, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take that. Um, but, man, here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the authoritative word of God, that it is holy and that he speaks to us primarily through his word. And so uh, just in reverence of that, would you stand? Would you stand with me and hear the word of God? Again, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 7 through 10. It says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. morning, Flourishing Grace. How are we? Wow. Okay. Oh, live, lively, lively. I see how it is. I see how it is. All right. Well, let's wake up. We gotta. We gotta. We got some work to do uh, this morning. My, for those of you who are new, uh, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of preaching and vision here at Flourishing Grace. And, and as John said, uh, we entered into a new series last Sunday, uh, the Fellowship of Sufferings, um, and it's coming from. Um, Really, two locations, right? Biblically, right? We're pulling this from uh, Philippians three. We talked about that last Sunday. We'll talk about it more today. And it's coming from a book called the J Curve uh, by a guy named Paul Miller. Some of our staff read through the J Curve last uh, summer and last fall, um, and just said from from there, we said, I "Man, this is something that our our church or congregation needs to kind of be awakened to." And so we actually got a bunch of copies of the J Curve. They're out there in the lobby. Uh, Those are $15, which is $8 cheaper than Amazon. We beat Amazon. Take that, Jeff Bezos. Yeah? Just kidding. Um, But seriously, uh, it's cheaper than Amazon. And uh, if you are in a path group, uh, which, which uh, John just talked about Path Group, the Path Group course is coming up. If you're in a Path Group and you, as a group, you'd say, man, let's go through this together. Let's take a deeper dive into this idea of the J-curve, into the idea of a fellowship of his sufferings. And you want to do that with your group. Um, as a Path Group, I man, what we'll eat, the church will eat $5 off of that. So 10 bucks if you say, man, my Path Group's going to go through this book together. Uh, so 10 bucks if you want to go through it with your Path Group. Uh, Fifteen, uh, if you just want to read it on your on your own uh, we 'd love to have you dive into that and so the the heart behind this so the reason why we just kind of felt a burden to kind of to lay this before you um, and to kind of press this into your life is, is simply this right we want to be a people who grow nearer to jesus that 's why you 're here now i don 't know of any other reason why you would be here right we, we want to have a greater faith, a greater um, journey with Christ. We would, we would call it a greater level of flourishing and intimacy with Jesus. We want to know Him more. And, and I said last week that suffering, suffering is uh, one of the most fundamental ways in which we increase our relationship with Jesus. So it's one of the most it's a, it's a prerequisite. It is a fundamental necessity to intimacy with Jesus is what I said last week. It's a fundamental necessity. So many of us have made new year's resolutions and made these commitments to read my Bible every day and to pray and to, to attend church and to grow my faith. And we 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 miss this idea that suffering throughout the scriptures is a fundamental necessity to intimacy with Jesus. And what we do every day of our life is we run away from it, right? We, we come home after a, a long day of, of, of just stress and anxiety in the office, right? And I just want to drink a beer and watch Sports Center, or turn on Netflix and just numb it, right? I don't want to think about it. I don't want to engage it. I want to sweep it under the rug. Or if you're super type A, right, I'm just going to put my head down pressure through suffering and come out on the other side and just forget about it and move on, right? I'm just going to deal with it and move on. Like, cut it, sever it, move on. Like, whatever I can do to numb myself from this, to avoid this, to pretend like life is not one suffering moment after another suffering moment. And yet, all the while, friends, listen to me, all the while, there is an opportunity in the midst of our suffering to enter into the greatest level of flourishing that you could possibly find. Like, flourishing comes out of suffering for those, for those who are willing to enter into a fellowship of suffering with Christ in their suffering every day. And so this is what Paul talks about in Philippians 3 and what, what uh, Paul Miller talks about uh, in, in the J-curve, right? We would off most of us in the room would actually acknowledge that at some level, uh, you know, the Christian life is a life of suffering, right? Jesus says, if you want to come after him, right, take up your cross and deny yourself daily and follow me. That's what Jesus says, right? And so the cross is not some emblem of, of self-help and uh, joy and delight. It's an emblem of death and suffering and despair and sorrow. And so to come after Christ, we would acknowledge, okay, there's, There's something to that. But if I were to ask you, I mean, how does God utilize suffering for our good? What does it look like for us to enter into a fellowship of Christ's sufferings and experience the power of the resurrection through his sufferings and come out on the other side living this great flourishing life? Most of us would say, huh? What? what?" But this is exactly what Paul talks about in Philippians 3. This was our text from last week. I'm going to read it again just so we can all be on the same page. Paul says this. Indeed, I'll be up here on the screen. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Last Sunday, we said that all suffering is some form of loss, okay? All suffering, any suffering that you've experienced in your life, is some form of loss. The loss of a job, the loss of a friend, the loss of a loved one, um, the loss of comfort, the loss of hope, the loss of intimacy, the loss of friendship, the loss of uh, notoriety, the loss of some part of your identity, the loss of um, uh, joy and delight and happiness, right? The loss of peace, the loss of control. These are all forms of suffering. Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul is saying there is a greater nearness to and a greater knowledge of Christ that can only be attained through suffering. And so, yeah, I counted all as loss. I counted all the suffering for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on to say, For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he says this, that I may know him. That's why I've suffered all of this. And the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, that's what we walked through last Sunday. And it felt like for me, when I walked away from last Sunday, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a lot. Okay, this is something that, is not normal for us. It's something that is not, preachers don't preach on this, right? We talk about uh, how to overcome suffering, how to find joy in suffering, not how to enter into it, okay? Um, And I said last week, I want to promote suffering, but when I walked away, I thought, man, there's so much more in this. It's so hard to grasp and unpack and understand because everything in us says, no, I don't, I don't want to engage in that. And so I want this morning, I want to kind of double down on this idea of the J-curve. And I, I want to go back and unpack some of the things we unpacked last week and go deeper into it. And this morning, it's going to be a little bit different than a normal Sunday here at Flourishing Grace. N- normally... We sit up here and we preach through a passage of Scripture. And we're going to get to that passage that John read in a little bit. But before I do that, uh, I want to kind of talk about this. And so it might feel more like a talk or a lecture this morning than a sermon, okay? Uh, We don't often do this, um, but I just feel like it's something we need to do. Because this is, honestly, this is something that would be like a multi-week, multi-month-long seminary master level course, and we're trying to pack it into just a couple weeks, okay? Um, And I think it's something that if we can actually grasp and wrap our minds around, it will change us. It will completely transform us. And so back to what we were talking about last week, this idea of the J-curve, what Paul Miller calls the J-curve, okay? Okay? And um, I have a picture here that illustrates this. This is from his book, actually. I, I tweaked it a little bit. but um, so, so this is the idea of what's going on here. So what we would say is most of us, when we go through life and we experience suffering, like the graph of our life, if you will, Okay, for those of you who are into graphs and charts, um, nerds, uh, the graph of our life, it looks like this. We're living life, right? There's life, and we, we enter into suffering. And for most of us, that's where we, Go home and binge on Netflix and just numb it or just power through it and get, get on the other side of it. So we just, we just run away and we live life again. And then we enter into suffering again. And we power through it and we live life and then we enter into suffering again. And it's constantly this motion of just downward, more suffering, more suffering, more suffering, more suffering. But Paul Miller says, man, what we see in Scripture, primarily in the life of Paul, Philippians 3, we see it in Romans 8, we see it in Romans 6, we see it in James 1, we see it in 2 Peter 1, we see it uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, like these passages, where we see this picture of a different form of suffering, where we're not just going down into suffering, but there's something happening at the bottom of this curve, and we're experiencing this newness of life. We're identifying with Jesus in his death, right? So this is, this is that Philippians 3, may, that I may share in his sufferings, we're going down into it, but then there's this transformation that happens there at the bottom where we begin to kind of give this over to Christ and we're living to Christ, we're we're becoming like him in his death, we're identifying with him, there's a greater nearness, a greater intimacy, and we we raise, we experience the power of his resurrection, we experience the power of the spirit in our life that brings spiritual gain from this. From our loss comes spiritual gain, right? Spiritual gain, not, not, you know, I lost my job and now I have a better job. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, I lost some money, now I have more money. I lost a loved one, but now I have a better loved one? No, just kidding. I don't know. We have spiritual gain. We have spiritual gain. We're, we're, we have a greater nearness and a greater intimacy with Christ and a greater Christ-likeness in our life. This is what the J-curve is. It's a daily dying and rising with Christ through a fellowship of sufferings. In our suffering... We are identifying with Christ and his death and depending on Christ more and more. We are experiencing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gain as we experience the power of Christ in our life. Paul says the power of his resurrection, the power of Christ in our life. Is this making any sense? No. Okay. That's why I thought we're doomed. Here's the reality. We will find more joy, more intimacy with Christ, more spiritual gain in our suffering if we learn how to do this than we will anywhere else, okay? Um, Rankin-Wilborn, who wrote a book all about kind of this nearness to Christ, union with Christ. How do I live my life experiencing a greater measure of the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment basis. And in it, he has this whole chapter on suffering because it's a requirement. It's a necessary means to greater intimacy. And he, and he says this. He says, Nothing can cause you to lose heart like suffering can. If you don't tap into this, it's just going to drive you lower and lower and lower and lower. Right? It's going to cause you to lose heart. Nothing can do it like suffering. But... Neither can anything lead you into God's heart like suffering can, if you let it. That's the piece. That's the J curve. If you let it, suffering can drive you like a nail into the heart of God. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who was uh, was a man who uh, dealt with a lot of suffering in his life, Uh, lived with, with chronic depression and some health issues. Um, He said this, he says, I'm afraid that all the grace that I have got from my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. It's tiny. It's a small amount of grace from all my happiness and comfort. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. I can't, measure, I can't fathom it. I can't measure it. He goes on to say, affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in the minister's library, right? We have so much more to gain from suffering than we do from joy if, if we will learn to be a people who enter into it. Suffering for the Christian who enters into a fellowship of suffering, is a radically transformative experience. But again, if we allow it. If we can learn to turn suffering into spiritual gain, there's nothing in this world that will bring us closer to Jesus. Help help us to know him more and become more like him. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind kind of walk into what Paul Miller calls the J-curve. I want to kind of show you kind of step-by-step what this looks like. Uh, And then we're going to get into uh, the text that John read earlier from 2 Corinthians. And in that text, it'll kind of be a hard shift because Paul Miller talks about these kind of three different um, forms of suffering that can lead us into the J-curve, right? We have the love J-curve, he calls it, the repentance J-curve, he calls it, and then the suffering J-curve, okay? And so we're going to look at the suffering J-curve today. We'll look at the love J-curve and the repentance J-curve over the next two weeks, okay? But first, I just want to make sure that we understand a little bit more, okay, what do we do? Like, how how does this play out in our life, practically speaking? How does this play out? Well, step one, we talked about last week, is we we simply see it, okay? Step one is just open your eyes to suffering, right? You cannot go home and binge Netflix um, or or Sports Center or or just power that you've got to see it. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to look at it, okay? And as we talked about this idea last Sunday, right, step one is simply learning to identify, learning to see suffering. We have to slow down in order to see it. Last Sunday uh, at the end, we gave everybody a pad of sticky notes, right? And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through your day, and as you're going through your day, every time you experience suffering, even the little tiny moments of suffering, okay, Because the little tiny moments are important because they're actually preparing us and training us for the big moments that are always coming for us. If you're not in it now, it's coming for you, okay? Um, So let's look for these little moments of suffering that we'd have normally just swept under the rug and just moved on. Let's stop and identify it and ask the question, okay, what is it that I'm actually losing here, okay? Here's the situation. Here's what's happening. Here's the emotions I'm feeling. But what am I losing here? Okay, And write it down on a sticky note and kind of stick it on a wall or a mirror or something, right? Anybody actually do this? Anybody have some sticky notes? Like a half-hearted attempt at this. Okay, a good good number of you, okay. I always wonder, it's like, are people actually going to do this? Um, I'm glad, I'm glad you did it a little bit. Anybody uh, notice any uh, suffering in your week that maybe... Uh, would have just kind of otherwise just gone unnoticed. Like you, you would have just kind of blown right past it, never thought about it, but you, sat, you actually stopped and thought about it because you were practicing. Anybody like notice something that you, anybody notice themes or patterns? Any themes or patterns like appear? Like the, the, kind of like these are my things that I'm constantly like losing. All right. I for sure did. All right. Uh, mine were almost the same every single time. Like my top two were control in uh, peace. Okay, That's what I'm losing in this. E- even though the situation might be completely different every single time, this theme or pattern kept coming up, um, which makes total sense for me. Um, I am an Enneagram 8. For those of you who are like a what, uh, the Enneagram is like this personality test that people outside of Utah care about. Um, people in Utah, don't give a rip. All right. Um, but I, it's, I'm an Enneagram 8, doesn't matter what that means. But what it means is this, I care deeply about being in control of me, all right? I don't care about you, you, could, you do you, uh, but I've got to be in control of me. And so my pattern of suffering again and again and again and again was I'm losing control of my situation, and, then, and, and as a result of that, I'm losing peace, so I'm getting angry and stressed or sorrowful because I've lost control of my situation. This is like my pattern all week long. And I saw this again and again and again. There was one moment where I stopped just long enough to th- process this. I kind of wrote this down. I came back to it later. And I said, okay, what was I losing? And I was like, okay, clearly control and peace. And then the other, the other piece was expectations. I, I had expectations for how this was going to go, which is tied to control, right? Uh, I, I wanted this to be a certain way, and it just wasn't going to be that way. And kind of just from, just from acknowledging it, step one, seeing it, okay, identifying it, I, I sat there, I thought about this, and I realized, as I look, kind of looked at Christ, I was reminded that only he is in control. He's sovereign over all things. And I, I am not. Praise the Lord, okay? Um, I think I'm in control. I think I can wield the power of self-control. But all it takes is for the waves to rise and the winds to blow just a little bit, and I realized I was never once in control the entire time. But he was and is, and that's enough for me. That's enough for me. I don't, I don't need more than that. And because I'm in him and he is in me, my expectations should not be for everything to go smoothly. My expectations should not be for everything to go the way I think they should go. My expectations should be suffering. because That's what the Bible tells me. If I am in Christ, that's what I'm going to experience. My expectations should be suffering, which is where I found myself. And if I want peace, I should not be looking for it in my circumstances, but rather I should find peace in the Prince of Peace. And so all of this, just from from stopping to acknowledge what was happening in this little brief moment of minor suffering, I had a greater nearness to you and a greater intimacy and a greater kind of understanding of who I am and who Christ is in this moment of my life, just from stopping for two seconds to say, okay, what am I actually losing right now? And so we have to be people who slow down to see it, to see it. And that's not enough. It's not enough just to say, okay, what am I losing? Got it. All right, move on. We all know people who are very well acquainted with their griefs and their sorrows and their sufferings, and it just leads to more bitterness, Right? You know the person, right, who's just a curmudgeon. And they know they're suffering, and they know why they're suffering, and they don't care. They're just more grumpy and more angry. The older and the more they suffer, right, they, they become just more bitter, more angry, right? There's got to be more. And so we talked about this idea of identifying it last week, but step two, step two is entering into the fellowship is receiving it through prayer. We must receive this through prayer. This is a pattern that we see in Scripture, and I'm going to show it to you, uh, in a little bit. But we must, through prayer, receive this. We identify with Christ. We don't reject our suffering and run away from suffering. right? We receive it. We say, not my will but yours be done. Right? Christ is the, is the model for this. We want to emulate Christ in all of our life. He is the model for us in this. In his greatest hour, in his greatest moment of suffering, as Christ is about to go to the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus... And he receives the cup. He receives the cross through prayer. We see this in Luke uh, 22. It reads this way. And he, Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, listen to this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Right? We are not a people who are stoics or masochistic. We're not a people who are like, mm, I love suffering. Just, mm, the more suffering I can find, the more suffering I can create in my life, the better. No. Jesus doesn't say, man, I just cannot wait to go to the cross. No, he says, if there's any other way. I, I don't, want to do this. I don't want to go down this road. I don't want to take this cup. But if this is what you have for me, if this is it, there's no other way. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. This is the prayer that we must become acquainted with. Step two, we must receive it through prayer. Are you willing to enter into the fellowship of His sufferings? Not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer we must learn to pray throughout our days. Moment by suffering moment, not my will, but yours be done. Now to be clear, I said this earlier, the cross is not some symbol of self-help. It's not a place for self-improvement. The cross of Christ is the place of death and destruction. It's where we go to die. Where our dreams die. Our hopes die. Our expectations die. Our ability to control a situation dies. Our aspirations die. Our careers die. This is what happens at the cross. When we say, not my will, but yours be done, we must actually mean that. It's easy to think it. It's easy to to let it roll off your tongue, but to actually mean it in your mind and in your heart, to say, if this is what you have for me, I'm willing to suffer the loss of all things that I may gain Christ, not my will, but you that's a hard thing. To wade into a fellowship of sufferings and say, kill what needs to be killed, if it's going to draw me nearer to you. The reality is, how can we say that? How can we become a people who can actually say that? I kill it this great hope, this great dream, this great aspiration, this ability to control the situation, kill my peace, kill my joy. How can we actually say that? I think that in the moment of suffering, once we've identified it and we begin to pray and we want to wade into it, we need a greater object than whatever it is that we're losing. Okay? Okay. You need, you need a greater object than the one that you're leaving behind. And, and the things that we're leaving behind, the things that Paul left behind in Philippians 3 is everything. Okay? It's like everything that was good and everything that, was, that made him powerful and famous and well-to-do. All of it. His identity is, was being left behind. He needs a, you need a greater object. What is that object? That object is Christ, and it's Christ crucified. I can look to Christ in my moment of receiving suffering, and I can say, not my will but yours be done, because I can see Christ on the cross saying the same thing towards his Father, and I am that will. I'm the will for the joy set before him. Christ is saying, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And my, his, the Father's will is that by the blood of his Son, I would be rescued and I would be redeemed. That by the cross of Christ, by his suffering, by this thing that he does not want to take on, he willingly does for me and, and for you. And so what if Christ is going to suffer the greatest suffering that anyone has ever suffered, we talked about that last Sunday, if he's going to do that for for me and for you, what are you going to hold on to that separates you from him? What are you going to hold on to that is going to keep you from experiencing more intimacy and more power with him? We need a greater object that we can look to and say, he is far better and far greater than all of these things. And so I can consider it rubbish. I can consider it meaningless. Not my will, because my will is silly in comparison to the will of God. All right, step three. So step one, we see it. Step two, we receive it through prayer. Step three, resurrection and transformation, right? Step three is resurrection and transformation. We, we, We experience... The power of his resurrection, as Paul says. There's a spiritual transformation that takes place. We are led into a greater fellowship with Christ and given greater Christ-likeness. Paul says it this way in that Philippians 3 passage, that I may know him and the power of his resurrections. I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Right? Through this giving up of self, willingly Entering into a fellowship of sufferings, not my will, but yours be done. The Spirit now does a work in us. Through our softened hearts, through our released grasp on the things of the world, the Spirit begins to take control, and the Spirit of God begins to move in us and to bring about a spiritual transformation in our lives. There's a spiritual gain and transformation that can only happen through suffering. A greater intimacy with Jesus that cannot be found elsewhere a greater experiencing of His grace and mercy and power that will not be found in the other moments of your life. We are transformed by Him and by His power in the fellowship of His sufferings. It is in this place of complete and utter weakness where we have released all things, not my will but yours be done. The Spirit of Christ does His greatest work. We experience the power of the resurrection. Okay? So step one, we identify it, we see it, we 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 identify what it is that we're losing. Step two, we receive it, we enter into it by prayer. Not my will but yours be done. And step three, the spirit begins to do this work, and we come out on the other side of this thing, and it might take minutes or hours or weeks or months or years. For decades, we've come out on the other side of this place with a greater spiritual gain, a greater knowledge of, and a greater intimacy with Christ. Is this at all making sense? Please help me. A little. Okay. Yeah. okay. Great. Appreciate the honesty. All right. Well, we've got to move on. We'll keep, we'll keep wading into this. Okay, we'll keep wading into it. Um, I, I want to spend some time in that Second Corinthians passage. So this is kind of a hard right turn, just fair warning, okay? And we're going to wade into, I said there's kind of three different ways, three different, what Paul Miller describes as three different kind of ways that we enter into the J-curve, right? The love J-curve, the repentance J-curve, and the suffering J-curve. The suffering J-curve is the one I want to talk about. And what I want to do is I want to take this passage from Paul and kind of lay it on top of the J-curve and show us that this is, This is a model for Paul's life. This is what he is doing kind of naturally as he walks through life. Um, The suffering J-curve is when someone else's choices um, or just the the nature of the fallen world are bringing suffering into our lives. Like, we're not choosing this. uh, We're not causing this. It's happening to us against our will, okay? There is suffering that we can choose to enter into, there's suffering that we can create for ourselves, but this suffering, this, this suffering is the suffering that's happening to us against our will. I don't want to experience this, but it's happening anyways. Okay, and so that's what this is. Um, and it could be kind of a low level, everyday suffering. Right, my car broke down. Uh, I came down with the flu. My coworker freaked out on me. Right, it could be just like these normal, everyday little things that are constantly always around us, and normally we just kind of brush, brush them under the rug and move on, right? It could be those things, but it could be serious pain, serious sorrow, cancer, the death of a loved one, chronic pain, loss of a job, or, or something even far, far worse than that. There are, there are things that are just unspeakable uh, that, we could, that could be happening to us that we don't want to be happening to us. Anytime we are experiencing suffering, we have the opportunity to enter into a fellowship of his sufferings. And we see this happening to Paul in this text. I'm going to read the whole thing for us again. I'll throw up here on the screen for you. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, John read it earlier, but just so it's fresh in our minds, Paul says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving me, In the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with God about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. So, so often in this passage, right, we, preachers, we, we tend to like lean in and say, okay, what is this thorn in the flesh? And talk about how God is bringing this suffering and, and try to identify what this thing is. I don't, it doesn't, I don't care. That's not what we're going to do this morning. I want to lay this on top of the J curve. And I want to show you kind of step one, step two, step three. Right, and the This is exactly what what Paul is doing, right? And so, so uh, Paul has identified um, uh, his his this this suffering in his life. Okay, but Paul is uh, he is becoming conceited. Now, that's not the suffering. Okay, that's a problem in his life. He's becoming conceited. He is experiencing um, what he calls these revelations, but he's experiencing this, 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 these unbelievable movements of the spirit. He's experiencing these uh, miraculous healings and and miracles and and this ability to to speak to these large crowds. And in this, he's becoming conceited. He's Paul, right? He is is a spiritual giant of his day. There's nobody like him. And in all of this, he's growing and growing as somebody who, who sees himself as better than other people, right? He's the smartest guy in the room. He's the most talented guy in the room. He's the the most religious, the nearest to God in the room, the most spiritual in the room, right? Paul is becoming conceited in his faith. Now, we would say, you would say, becoming conceited is not a good thing. Nobody wants to be conceited. Nobody likes to be around people who are conceited. But you only say that because you're not the conceited one. When you're conceited, it's it's a gain for you, Right? And it's a gain in your own eyes because you're seeing your abilities rise. You're seeing your, your circumstances are better. Your, uh, people are looking at you in a certain way that feels good, right? You're getting more likes on Instagram. You're getting more uh, applause from people. Right? This, is, this is the feeling that comes. Like, you don't think, man, I'm getting conceited. You think, man, I'm pretty awesome, okay? That's what's happening with Paul. And so he's living... Life. This is his life. This is described in his life. But then he receives this thorn in the flesh. Suffering enters in. He enters into suffering, okay? Now who, who is bringing the thorn into his flesh? Sunday school answer will do. Yeah, Jesus. God. God, God is producing the suffering in his life. God is bringing him into suffering, right? He, Hebrews tells us that, that God... Um, And he disciplines the ones that he loves and he chastises those whom he receives. God is producing suffering in Paul's life for Paul's good. And Paul says, I don't want this in my life. Paul prays. He doesn't pray to receive it. He prays to say, God, take this away. He pleads and he begs God, I do not want this thing, whatever this thing is, that is you know, this thing is bringing me down. It's making me feel not good about myself. This thing that's removing my boast. It's removing my, my feeling of superiority. I don't want it in my life. But then there's this moment where Paul kind of gives over to give this over to Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done. I want to illustrate this for you real quick. Here's a picture of this on the J-curve, okay? So Paul's living his life, but he's in danger of conceit, right? Becoming conceited. Okay? Now, most of us don't see that right, when it's happening to us. And this is Paul kind of looking back on this in retrospect. He probably didn't see it the whole time. But as he enters into suffering, I prayed three times he's given this thorn of the flesh. That's the, that's the, that's the thing that begins this suffering in his life. And then there's that little arrow there on the J-curve. That's the moment where Paul says, okay, fine. If this is what you have for me, fine. Show me, teach me, reveal to me, draw me near to yourself through this, okay? Not my will, but yours be done. Paul, at that moment, begins to experience a transformation. Paul's awakened to something. He's awakened to his location, right? Suffering dislocates us, okay? For those of you who have entered into real suffering, okay, what is the result of just normal suffering? This thing happens in your, in your day, right? What are the emotions that we experience from suffering, okay? We experience anger. We experience anxiety. We experience stress. We experience uh, all, these are, these are emotions that dislocate us. We forget who we are. And usually, suffering results in more sin from us, okay? It results in me getting angry at my kids. It results in me uh, getting stressed out and panicked and, 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 and losing faith that God is sovereign and that he's in control. Usually suffering dislocates me. It causes me to forget who I am, who I am in Christ, who I am as a father, who I am as a husband, who I am as a pastor. Suffering causes us to to lose the narrative. And the J-curve, the J-curve is the narrative that we are being invited into, an opportunity to enter into the sufferings of Christ. And so Paul has been dislocated in his, in his suffering, but now he's kind of given this over to Christ and he's relocated. He was reminded, okay, my story, my life is not about me and my gain and my kingdom and my things. It's about Christ. My life is a daily dying and rising with Christ. That's what my life is, and it's for him. He's king. His glory, not mine. Paul's reminded of who he is in his story. I'm the one who's weak. I'm the one who's broken. I'm the one who's suffering. I'm the damsel in distress. I'm the one who is in need of rescue. That's who I am. I'm not the hero of my story. Paul's reminded of who the hero is in the story. Christ is the hero. Christ is the near and present help in our time of trouble. Christ is the one in the valley of the shadow of death. He's the shepherd whose rod and his staff comfort us and guide us in the midst of our suffering. Christ is the hero of the story. And all of this is happening because Paul is released. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Paul is relocated. And there's a spiritual transformation that takes place in Paul's life as he begins to realize these things. He realizes, as Christ says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't need to be the smartest one in the room. I don't need to be the most powerful or the most spiritual. I don't need to be the wealthiest or the richest or the greatest. Christ's grace is sufficient. That is not something that Paul came up with in an hour of happiness on a beach in Fiji. Now he came up with this in his moment of suffering as Jesus revealed it to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his resurrection. Therefore, Paul experiences a transformation. Therefore, my life has changed. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, these are transformations that are bringing greater Christ-likeness, greater Christ-intimacy, like greater nearness to Christ into Paul's life. And they didn't come because he had a good day in the office. Okay? And this is what I'm trying to get you to see. They didn't become because Paul had this guy in his life that was just a pain in the butt. And so he went home and binged Netflix and just said, I'm just not going to think about it tonight. Are you tracking with me? Paul identifies his suffering. And he doesn't want it, and so he prays against it. And that's okay, it's right, it's good. We have a loving Father who is with us in our suffering. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Show me, teach me. What do you you have for me? And the Spirit of Christ, the power of the resurrection, awakens his life and transforms him. And he's living in a greater place of flourishing than he was before. This does not come for those who say, I don't want to deal with suffering. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel it. I just don't want to experience it. I just want to run away from it. I want to flee it. This does not come from those who just ignore these everyday little moments of suffering. And if you ignore the little everyday moments of suffering, you'll never do this in the big ones. You'll never never be ready for when the doctor calls. And it's cancer. You'll you'll never be ready when your, your mom calls and says, your dad's not well. You'll never be ready in the moment. But it's only in, the mo- in these little moments when we learn to identify our little moments of suffering that we can actually enter into a fellowship of Christ's sufferings and experience this spiritual transformation that comes as a result of the Spirit in our weakness producing the power of Christ. And so the question for you, the question is simple. Are you ready? Are you willing you grow in your relationship with Jesus, even though it's going to cost you everything. Are you willing to say, not my will, but yours be done? And so this week, I want to kind of challenge you. I want to lay this before you. I want to ask you to, again, kind of go through your week and just begin to continue to identify your suffering. In that moment of suffering and weakness and, and whatever it is that you're feeling, anger and anxiety and pain and sorrow, stress, whatever it is, ask the question, what am I actually losing? What am I actually losing in this moment? But I want you to also just lay it before Christ and receive it, to enter into a fellowship of suffering by prayer. We must take that moment of identification and turn it into a moment of prayer and say, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want this. I don't choose this. I'm not pursuing this. But if this is what you have for me, show me. Do a work in me that I could not do on my own. Do a work in me that no no amount of joy will ever produce. And allow the Spirit to do that work in you. And look for it. What is Christ showing you? How is he drawing you nearer to himself? And next week, we'll talk more about what is the love J-curve? What does it look like for us to willingly, out of love, enter into the suffering of others? And the repentance J-curve. What do we do when we're the ones who have caused the suffering in our life? How can we actually experience the same thing, the same power of his resurrection in those moments? But until then, let me pray for you guys as we go. Jesus, this morning, we just acknowledge that you have suffered more than any of us ever will, or ever could even imagine. And therefore we have a a God, a loving and a tender and a merciful God who wants to draw near to us. You are not some distant God, some distant being or creature. You are a God who has become human, who has entered into our suffering and our brokenness. A God who in our suffering invites us to draw nearer to him. And so help us this week. Help us to see our moments of suffering. Help us to be able to identify them and to think well and write about them. Help us to release them and to enter into a fellowship of your sufferings through prayer, surrendering the will of our lives to you. And then would you do a work in us and the minimum of a flourishing grace that could not otherwise be produced by human hands. May we experience the power of your resurrection in our lives this week. I pray things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.